Thank you, Father, for the many boys and girls who we have as a church family. Bless them today as your word is opened and give them an understanding of your truth. And we pray for Johnny. We thank you for uh, bringing him with us here today, Lord. And as he opens your word, may he know uh, the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we each understand what you're saying to us and live as a result. Please give him unction and power. And we pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I want to uh, thank you very much for the invitation and particularly to Pastor McCord for being able to be with you on a very special day, your church anniversary, 69 years, an incredible mark of God's faithfulness in many of your lives and as a congregation. It's my first time in Dundonald Baptist, though I did sneak in virtually to the Baptist College night that was here, so maybe it was through that camera lens up there. It was great to be able to join uh, virtually, but it's infinitely better uh, to be with you in our meeting together. But we're going to go to Psalm 100. It's a great psalm that helps us reflect on the goodness of God. An anniversary is a, is a marker where we remember something that happened in the past, whether it was a wedding anniversary, whether it's a church anniversary, whether it's a difficult anniversary where we miss a loved ones. It's a marker in our lives where we often reflect. And Psalm 100 is a very helpful psalm that helps us reflect on the faithfulness, the goodness, and the grace of God. So let's read it before we open it up together. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And this is God's word. I've had the privilege of traveling to a few places in the world. Visiting missionaries and helping serve local congregations in the ground in different parts of the world. And I've had the privilege of going to Uganda and let's just say church worship in Uganda is very different to what we're like here in Northern Ireland. I remember the pastor of the church got up and welcomed me. Now, the service started about an hour later than it was meant to start. And he got up and he said, God is good all the time. Then the congregation erupted all the time. God is good. And I reflected on that later that afternoon because I thought about many of the lives that these Ugandan believers were living. Many of them lived in challenging circumstances. Some of them wondered where their next meal was coming from, and yet there was something that came from their heart. Maybe some of it was routine, but maybe some of it was genuine, that as they reflected on the character of God that Lord's Day morning, they said this all the time, 
God is good. And yet, as God's people, if we're very honest at times, there are times when we struggle to believe that God is good. I've been a pastor for a few years now and been in many homes and in the midst of many circumstances where sometimes someone might say to me, Johnny, I'm just really struggling to see God's good hand in the midst of these challenging circumstances. And yet there's other times where we're not in the deepest, darkest valleys, but we're on the mountaintops and it's really easy to say that God is good and you see the provision of God in your life, you see the protection of God in your life, you see the peace of God in your life, and there's no problem for you to sing out all the time, God is good. And so I think Psalm 100 helps us, whether you're in the valley or whether you're in the mountaintop on this anniversary Sunday, whatever the circumstances of your life are personally, whatever you find yourself as a congregation corporately, Psalm 100 is going to invite all of us, wherever we are coming from, to give thanks for the goodness of God. That's what Psalm 100 is going to invite each one of us to do this morning, is to give thanks for the goodness of God. Psalm 100 is known as the Jubilat Deo. It's regarded as the second most popular psalm in the Psalter just after Psalm 23. And so we see it coming here, Psalm 100, but it's, it's in a particular context where there's a crescendo of praise building. If you have your Bibles, you, you'll see that crescendo of praise building from Psalm 93. Psalm 93 speaks of the Lord's kingship. Psalm 97 speaks of the Lord as Lord over all the earth. Psalm 97 speaks of him as supreme over all the earth. Psalm 96 speaks of God as supreme among the nations. Psalm 98 speaks of every nation. So the psalmist is building up a crescendo of praise. But who God really is. And it's like then we get to Psalm 100 and it's an overflow of his innermost thoughts and feelings about how wonderful and good God really is. So on this 69th anniversary, let's reflect on the goodness of God. You'll see now here that we've arrived at Psalm 100. There's seven commands. Verse 1 to shout. Verse 2 to worship. The second half of verse 2 to come to God. Verse 3, to know. Verse 4, to enter. The next part of verse 4, to give thanks and, and to praise. So there's much for us to do as we also reflect on the character of God. So how should we respond to the goodness of God? Well, the first thing, and this might be difficult for Irish Baptists, get excited about the goodness of God. What does Psalm 100 help us think about God? Get excited. Look at what it says, verses 1 and 2. Get excited about the goodness of God. Why? Look at what it says in the text. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Raise a shout to the King of kings because our great God is the King over all the earth. There is no one like our God. He is incomparable in his glory and his majesty and his worth and his splendor and his holiness. And so the psalmist is inviting everyone to come and to, to worship. He's been saying that as we've watched together this crescendo of praise. If you flick back with me, we'll read it. Psalm 94, verse 4. He's been encouraging the whole world and the lands and the peoples to bring their homage and praise. 
Look at it, Psalm 94, verse 4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idle, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You'll notice that it's not just the people of God, the Israelites in the Old Testament that were to come and bring their praise. Do you see the all-inclusive language? It's all the earth. People in Bangor. People in Dundonald. People in Bangkok, people in Bangalore, people in Bangladesh, inviting the whole earth to come and bring their praise to God. And how should we do it? Look at verse 1. Shout for joy. You must make a joyful noise. You must make a loud noise. You must raise up a shout with an instrument, particularly a horn or a traditional ram's horn in this context, too, to the Lord. But think about what you're doing when you bring your praise to God. Think about what you're doing. What you're doing is that you're declaring to yourself and to the whole world that you are not God. When you bring your praise, when you bring your worship to our God, you're declaring that he alone is God and that you are not. One writer says this, to praise is to reject alternative loyalties and false definitions of reality. To bring our praise rightly to God is to reject alternative loyalties and false definitions of reality. I'm going to let you into a secret. Sometimes you might see Jonah and I, my son, who's just left for Sunday school, sitting behind the goals at Windsor Park at the Northern Ireland Internationals. And what you'll see is Freddie McLaughlin, Johnny McLaughlin, and Jonah McLaughlin getting excited about Northern Ireland football. Now, some of you think that's nuts. But you know when we score a goal, it doesn't happen often at Windsor Park, but you know when we score a goal, do you know what happens? We're dancing around. Two pastors and a 10-year-old boy. Why? Because we're excited. We're excited about men kicking around a football, around a pitch. How much more then should we, the people of God, be getting excited about who God is? The creator of the ends of the earth. And so the psalmist says, come and shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Reject all alternative gods and loyalties and bring your worship to him. Why? Because as you've reflected on 69 years of the goodness of God, it's all come from his hand. James 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is come from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Shout for joy to the Lord. But look at what it says. Who's, look at what it says in the text. Who's got to come? All the earth. People in Dundonald who have not yet bowed their knee to Jesus. All the earth. It's called a mission. It's not just a call to worship, it's a call to witness. 
It's not just a call to worship. It's a call to, to witness how were the peoples of the earth to hear what God's people were to go out as a light to the nations. And if you consider yourself even in this 69th year of your anniversary, what's God's role for you individually? What's God calling you to do as part of this fellowship as a member or a friend to bring not just your worship to Yahweh, but to bring your witness into wherever God scatters you during the week? But there's going to come a day when there's going to be a people gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation. Listen to the vision which John received, Revelation 5 verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. Then Revelation 7 verse 9, and after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God now what's your role now as we look forward to then it's worship witness but how should we feel? Another thing that's strange, perhaps, for an Irish Baptist to talk about. How should we feel about our reflections on the goodness of God? Look at verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Look at that little phrase, with, with gladness. This reflects the people's joy in living in harmony with their creator, their redeemer, and their king. Their hearts should be gripped with thankfulness, not negativity, not criticism, but, but joy for who God is and what he's given to them. And so the psalmist has gladness in his heart, and you see this all over the Psalms. Let me just read them to you. Psalm 5, verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you, God, be glad. Psalm 9, verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in you. Psalm 16, verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. Psalm 32, verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Psalm 40, verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. Psalm 92, verse 4, for you make me glad. Let me ask you, if an alien from Mars was to drop into Hamilton Road Baptist or Dundonald Baptist, or your home, or my home, would they see the gladness in our hearts? Would it exude into our daily living? It's this sort of reflection that the psalmist has about how we should reflect on the goodness of God. This is what should emanate from our heart, this desire to be the gladness of God in our lives. Come before him, look at the next part of verse 2, come before him with joyful songs. But we don't just get excited about the goodness of God as we reflect on 69 years of gospel witness here in this street. We need to grow in our knowledge. That's the second thing. We firstly just don't get excited, though we do that. But, but we need to grow in our knowledge about the goodness of God. You see, our worship of God must be intelligent. Our worship of God must be intelligent. We ought to know whom we worship and, and why we worship. 
And so if you look at verse 3, there's, there's three things that jump out about the goodness of God. No, that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. The first thing you notice here about our knowledge of God and our need to grow in it is to acknowledge that God is God. To acknowledge that God is God. How many of us in our lives struggle to acknowledge that? We might declare it with our praise, but in our hearts we wrestle with the desire to be God. The psalmist says here, no, know that the Lord, he is God. Charnock writes in his excellent book on the attributes of God, our God, he is a being infinitely perfect, self-existent, self-sufficient, the fountain of all being. And God is thus good. Because his nature is infinitely perfect, he has all things requisite to the completing of a most perfect and sovereign being. Listen to this. All good meets in God's inner essence. If you reflect on 69 years of what God has done here, anything that has been good has come from him. Anything in your lives personally that is good and wholesome and right has come from him. So on this anniversary, we acknowledge he is God. But he's also our creator. Look at the next part of verse 3. Look at what it says. It is he who made us. He made us. We did not make him. We are not autonomous. We are not self-sufficient. We are not self-made men or women. He made us. And perhaps after the last few challenging years, personally and as churches, look at the third thing that emanates from verse 3. And we are his. And we are his. You want to know who your personal pastor is? It's God. God personally pastors you. In Psalm 139, David the psalmist again was reflecting on the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the magnitude of God. And it was as if in his own mind he was going, can I escape it? He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I were even to fly on the wings of the dawn and settle on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand would find me. Your right hand would hold me fast. And he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. How does that apply to you today on the 69th anniversary of this church in your personal lives, in your corporate life as a church community, that God has been personally pastoring you as a congregation? You are his. And what else are we? Well, it's as if he really wants us to know the psalmist, who we are in Christ. We are his people. And if we were to take time, you'll see that this is the central phrase in the poem. We are his people. There are 20 words that come before it, and there are 20 words that come after it. It's the very beating heart of the psalm. We are his people. 
Let that truth sink into your heart today. You are part of the people of God who he loves and cares for. Jim Elliot said this in one of his journal entries many years ago. He said this, I walked out on the hill just now and it's magnificent to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze and glory and to give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness of his pleasure, the sheer excitement of being known by God on earth. He writes, I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, if only I might please him. And perhaps in his mercy, he shall give me a host of children that I may lead through the vast stars and fields to explore his delicacies who his fingers set into place. But if not, if only I might see God, to be in his presence, to know that I'm loved by him. He was reveling, he was giving thanks because he knew that God was his personal pastor. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. The sheep, look at the next part of verse 3, where the sheep of his pasture. And all over scripture we see the personal pastoring of God with his people in Psalm 80 verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. But Ezekiel the prophet, he got an incredible prophetic word from God about how God would personally pastor his people. Ezekiel 34, verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and I'll look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they're scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good land and there I will feed them the riches of the pastures. Isn't this incredible to think that over your 69 years as a church, God has been directing, God has been shaping, God has been moving in his people in this place. But how is it that we are the sheep of his pasture? Well, isn't it very true that God had to send his only son How is it that we get into his presence? How is it that we get into being part of his people? Well, Jesus said of himself in John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and he'll go out and he'll find good pasture. He's the gate. But he also said of himself that I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I wonder, do you know that this morning? 
Have you experienced the love of Jesus Christ? Because you can't get excited about the goodness of God. And you can't grow in your knowledge of the goodness of God unless you know the good shepherd who laid down his life for us on a tree outside Jerusalem. Do you know Jesus? This is the great challenge that comes from this particular part of the text to be included in the people of God. But what if you're in this family? What does God promise us as a personal shepherd? Well, the first thing I think he promises us is his presence. As you reflect on more years to come in the will of God, what does God, this personal shepherd of his people, promise you and me? Well, he promises his presence. Hebrews 13 verse 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is our helper. She you consider the years to come in the will of God, isn't this incredible to think that God has said, never will I leave you? And when we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel of Matthew, when we see this staggering claim about a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew is that disciples are, are worried and anxious about this great commission that lay ahead of them. Jesus stands as the risen, resurrected Lord, and he commissions them, and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if they thought that they had to do it on their own, he said, And behold, I am with you with you to the end of the age. When you consider how you're going to reach this community for Jesus Christ in the coming years in his will, God promises that he'll go with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. His personal power and presence. But he also gives us his provision. That's what a great shepherd does. He gives us his provision. Philippians 4 verse 19 Paul the Apostle writes to a struggling church from his prison cell, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. His presence is his provision. But as we consider the goodness of God on this anniversary Sunday, and we, we need to get excited about it, we need to grow in our knowledge of it. There's one last movement here in the in the psalm, we simply need to give thanks. Verses 4 and 5, we simply need to give thanks. Do you know what God wants more than anything else? It's not workers. It's worshipers. Yes, he wants workers. But more than anything else, he wants our, our worship. And so that's how this psalm comes to a real crescendo of praise. Look at, look at verse 4. It's as if now we've moved from, from the temple precincts into the very innermost parts of the temple. 
Look at, look at this invitation here. God is, in a sense, enthroned as king, living in his palace like a monarch. And, and the worshippers are now ascending up into the temple mount. Verse 4, enter, come on in, come closer, come into the precincts, come into his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's wonderful. Look at the text. Who owns the gates? They're his gates. Enter his gates. God owns the gates. These gates do not lead the Christian to the outer courts. But now through Christ, we enter through him, the gate, into a new and a living way, into the very presence of God. Come on in. Come, verse 4, with thanksgiving. Come with praise. Give thanks to him Praise his name, but but why? For the Lord is good. Sometimes even when our life circumstances scream that he's not good, we have to trust in the promises of God. For he is good. That is who he is. For the Lord Yahweh is good. Good, and again in this sort of crescendo of praise from Psalm 93 forward, the king who is robed in majesty and armed with strength, Psalm 93, is good. The God of vengeance, Psalm 94, is good. The great king above all gods is good, Psalm 95. The God who will judge all peoples fairly, Psalm 96, is good. The God before whom every God must bow is good. The God who punished them when people did wrong in Psalm 99 is good. The God who made us here. Psalm 100 is good. But how do you experience it? Yes, we've acknowledged as a Christian to to come into God's courts with praise. We need to come through Christ, this, this new and living way. But if you think of it like this, if I was to take you out for dinner and you ordered steak with peppercorn sauce, and garlic chips with the butter melting on top. And the very kind waiter brings it and places it in front of you. Boy, does it look good. Some of you have got hunger pangs. I can hear them now. But what have you got to do in order to experience it? How do you get the goodness out of it? You've got to taste it. It's not what Psalm 34 says. Taste and see that the Lord is good when was your last time you really tasted the goodness of God taste and see that the Lord is good open your mouth and taste open your eyes and see how good God really is and our world is offering us a proliferation of different things to taste toys and trinkets and different treasures and saying come and taste these things they're really good only to be empty saviors Come and taste how good Jesus Christ really is. He is good. But sometimes, as the old writers used to say, sometimes we're experiencing bitter providences in our lives. And Corrie Ten Boom reflected on this when she said, often I've heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain at our church picnic And look at the lovely weather. 
Yes, she writes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God, she writes, is also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. And I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy. He has not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And Corey concluded in her writings, there's an ocean of God's love available. There's goodness in Christ for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever your circumstances. You can understand if you went around interviewing the disciples as they, well, in a sense, some of them stayed at the foot of the cross for a moment, then they all scattered. And as they looked up at their rabbi, their teacher, their master dying on the cross and being kneeled and being whipped and being beaten, if you interviewed them and said, is God good? What would they have said? And yet in that moment, it was the greatest good God could ever have done. That his only son would pay the price for sin. This is the mystery of God's providence. Consider him, the writer says of Hebrews. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so it's this love that the psalmist reflects on as he brings this incredible psalm to a close. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout all generations. What a challenge for us on this anniversary Sunday. All generations. There were men and there were women who 69 years ago boldly chose to take up God's call. Reflecting on his goodness, leaning into his majesty and his power and his strength and his sovereignty. And they said, you know what? We're going to plant the church here in Dundonald for the glory of God. Because God is good. They challenge you, what's the next chapter here? For you as a Christian that you might go further and deeper into the knowledge about who God is and get excited about his goodness and his grace and his mercy. But also, he's looking not just for worshippers, but for witnesses. What's he asking you to do today as you hear the words of Jesus? Follow me. So let's just take a moment to pray as we come now to respond in our next song, reflecting on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Let's just take a moment to pray. Our Father, we confess at times our view of you is too small. It gets eclipsed by the latest news bulletin, the latest post on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or 
the latest news headline in Radio Ulster. And we lose sight of your sovereignty and your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. So, Father, I pray for this congregation as they celebrate today 69 years of the goodness and the faithfulness of you, our God. That you would help them in the years to come in your will to have a a God-shaped vision. To trust in you, the one who is in all things and knows all things and holds all things together through your son's most powerful word. I pray that this congregation, Father, would take up the challenge to bring your unchanging gospel into an increasingly diverse and changing climate. Help them to present Christ in all of his glory and majesty. Father, we pray that more boys and girls would hear about the love of Jesus and more teenagers and more men and women here in Dundonald or in Bangor or in Belfast, wherever we find ourselves, that you would use us to spread this glorious news that God is good. And we thank you, Father, that even just as your people, where we have faced the, the battering and the bruising of life over these last few years, And even as some reflect over that which has happened in the last week or the last weeks or the last months, help them, Father, to remember that you, you yourself are our personal pastor. You know each one of your sheep by name. You know every hair in our head. You know every day ordained for us written in your book. And so we thank you not just for your knowledge of us, but your presence that wasn't just with the generations that have come before us, but that will be with us today and for all eternity. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.